The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. This morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. Um, as I said, I'm going to go until either I'm done or my voice gives out, whichever comes first. And if I have to stop, we'll just pick it up next week, um, wherever we are when, <laughs> when the voice stops working. Um, well, last week we looked at five pictures of the gospel in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Uh, and, and Paul focuses most of his attention on the real gospel rather than this false teaching that, that's being presented. Uh, because he wants the believers to know not, not just what's false about this teaching, but he wants them to know the real gospel so well that they might be able to recognize false teaching when it comes up. Um, so uh, today, we, we're still not exactly sure what this false teaching is. We don't have a whole lot of information about it. But today, he seems to be talking about Jewish legalism, meaning those Jews who thought they were made holy because uh, they kept the law so well. Um, and that's where he's going to kind of deal with today. So um, let's, if we can, I know you've, stand, you've stood a lot, and, and so if you can't, that's okay. But let's stand together as we read the word that God has given us this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning, and I pray uh, just that you will sustain me, sustain my voice uh, to proclaim your word this morning. Um, Father, speak to us this morning as we, as we look at these gospel foundations that you would, uh, that you would show us um, how to be rooted in the gospel, how to be people who are not taken captive by, these, um, by philosophies and empty deceit, as your word says. Um, we ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Now, the very first thing he says here is, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, that word captive is the same word that's commonly used of the plundering of cargo from a ship. So when he's talking about these philosophies, they're, they're not harmless they are philosophies that are going to promise something, but in the end, they're full of empty deceit. So they're going to promise something that they cannot possibly deliver. And in the end, people who've put all their faith and all their hope and, and all their uh, trust in these philosophies are going to be left much like a ship that's been plundered. That They're going to have even what they believed stripped from them. Um, and so... Um, Paul's not, now, Paul's also not saying that all philosophies are evil. 
Philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. Uh, the, the combination of the Greek words philo, which is uh, brotherly love. Uh, so where we get the words uh, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, um, philo and Sophia, which means wisdom. It's just the love of wisdom. There's nothing wrong with philosophy itself. The problem is the philosophies that these folks were dealing with um, was full of empty deceit. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, he says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of those things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, so not only is this, um, is this philosophy hollow, and, and the NIV puts it hollow and deceptive, um, but it's also according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, let's stop and talk about traditions just for a minute, right? Because we're a Baptist church. And in Baptist churches, there are some traditions that we hold to. And again, just like he's not saying all philosophies are bad, he's not saying all, all traditions are bad. Um, we, there are a lot of traditions that we follow that are good things. Um, for instance, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is where we've been a lot on Sunday nights in our video study, um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 3 and 4, he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. So Paul is passing on this tradition that he heard that Christ was crucified for our sins, buried, and resurrected. He's not saying all traditions are bad. Um, uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So in some instances, he's actually saying, hold on to traditions. Uh, some of the traditions we celebrate here in, in Baptist churches um, the Lord's Supper. It's a tradition where we remember what uh, Christ, the, the sacrifice that Christ had for us. Baptism, where we celebrate the picture of being buried with Christ and raised. We're not saying that all traditions are bad. What we're saying is that if we're doing something simply for, because that's the way we've always done it, that we need to examine why we do things. Um, Gathering on Sunday mornings is a tradition that's been passed down because Christ rose on Sunday morning. For Jews, the Sabbath was, this, was, the, uh, was Saturday, the, the last day, or the, yeah, the last day of the week, seventh. Um, for Christians, then, when Christ rose on Sunday morning, that became their day of worship, celebrating his um, resurrection. Now, there are some churches that meet on and since they have like 15 services every weekend, they'll do some on Saturday night and some on Sunday morning. Does that mean they're being evil? No. That's just, that's just the way that they've organized themselves. But traditionally, we celebrate on Sunday mornings because that's when uh, Christ was raised from the dead. Now, in, in Baptist churches, we get in trouble when we start messing with traditions, right? Um, the, the color of the carpet's always been this color. And if you start messing with it, you're going to split the church over the color of the carpet. Um, and... And we'll, we'll fight and we'll get in arguments and split churches over things that in the end don't matter, don't have anything to do with Scripture. Um, because the seven last words of any church, which are what? 
Anybody know? We've never done it that way before. <laughs> the, last, the last seven words of any church, all right? When, when you start saying that over and over and over, the end is near. We've never done it that way before. No. Guess what? Christ, things had never been done the way Christ came before. Uh, they'd never been done that way before. And Christ changed the way things were done when he showed up. Um, so the, the problems arise when we give more credence to human traditions than we give to the things of God. That's, that's when we start getting in trouble is when we trust our tradi- traditions. Um, story about that. Man and his wife had been married for a little while, and uh, she was cooking a ham, and as she was putting it in the oven, she chopped off both ends of the ham before putting it in the pan and sliding it in the oven. He said, honey, why, why do you do that? Her response was, well, because that's the way my mom did it. So one day they were with their mom, and, and mom was cooking a ham, and, and, he, and she asked her, her mom, Mom, why, why did you chop both ends off the ham? She said, because the pan wasn't big enough to fit the whole ham. I had to chop off the front and the back to, to slide it in the oven. That's just the way it was done, right? So, so, so a lot of these traditions are passed down, and, and we ask, well, why, why do we do things that way? And everybody goes, because that's, that's why we've always done it, right? Take, for instance, Sunday school at 945, right? Like, that's like a Baptist staple. Do you know why it was started at 945? so that the folks out on the farm could get up and feed their cows and their chickens at 5.30 and still hop on their horse and buggy and get into town by 9.45. That's why it was started at 9.45. That's not set in scripture. <laughs> it's, it, that's not biblical. That's just the way they started it, to give folks time to take care of chores at the farm and still get into town for church. Um, now, I'm not saying we're going to start messing with our Sunday schedule. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's why it was started. So, so next time somebody asks, why do you have, church? Why do you have Sunday school at 945? That's why. It was back in the, back in the olden days for, for farming. Um, um, and then he says, according to human traditions and according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, this could be referring to the local gods and goddesses. We know that in those days, uh, for instance, Ephesus um, had this temple of the goddess Artemis. That was kind of their local goddess, so people would go to this temple to worship her. Um, now, Paul's not giving credibility to these gods and goddesses. I, I want to be very important. He's not saying that they exist beyond the existence of people worshiping them. Um, but according to the elemental spirits of the world. So they were doing things. These false teachers were coming not only with human traditions, but according to these other gods, these other goddesses. Um, now, Paul will firmly believe that there is no God besides God Almighty. He's going to state that pretty clearly in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you're still at 1 Corinthians, turn back just a couple of pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul makes it very clear there's only one God, but these false teachers are bringing up things according to these elemental spirits, these other gods. Um, this, this idea when he talks about other gods, this should warn us against um, dabbling in anything. Uh, uh, horoscopes, which let's be honest, your horoscope is basically going to tell you um, like 
very generic information anyway. Like, um, uh, you will search for great success today. And I read that, and I'm kind of like, really? That, that's, that's the deepest thing you can come up with there, is that, like, I'm going to search for some sort of success? Wow. Um, so it, it should warn us against trying to, like, plan our future around horoscopes, putting any, um, any, any belief in those, in palm readers, Ouija boards, anything to do with the occult. Um, and, and I say that, and a lot of us are going, well, yeah, but you have to understand in our culture today, things are getting so mixed up so that someone will tell you at one point or another, well, I'm like a Christian witch. Excuse me? I'm like a Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim. You realize that things don't go, that, oh, they work for me. And so that's what we deal with in this age where there is no absolute truth, um, which they're telling you absolutely that there is no absolute truth. Just think about that for a minute, right? I, I, so you believe, you're telling me there's absolutely no truth? Yes. How can you know that for sure? Well, because truth doesn't exist. You just told me that, and that's like a truth that you're, that you're holding to absolutely, right? That, and, and, and on and on it goes. Um, so, so Paul will, will make sure that our basis, our foundations are in the word of God, not in simply what human traditions. As I said, we have lots of traditions that come out of this word. We've just got to make sure that, our, that what we're doing is based here, not just in the way it's always been done. So then we go on verses 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Um, this is going to take us back to chapter 1, verse 19 as well, where he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Christ in his very nature is God. He's not an image of God. He's not... Um, just a godly person. He is in the flesh, God the creator, which Paul spelled out in, in chapter 1, especially verses 15 through 23, where he praises Christ as the creator. Um, and he wants, to, he wants to remind us of that so that when we get into um, uh, verse 10, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. So if you are in Christ which, as we said last week, this is a very central theme here in Colossians, this in Christ. If, if you are in Christ, who is God himself, you have been filled in Christ, and the idea here is what else do you need? What else could you possibly want? What, what do these elemental spirits, what do these human traditions hold for you that Christ doesn't have? You have been filled with him who is the creator of all things. That's enough. Uh, I saw a church sign on the internet this week, and it said this. Um, if God is all you have, you have all you need. If God is all you have, you have all you need. It's enough. Um, and so what we're going to do instead is um, we're going we're gonna to listen to these things in the world that are saying, like, are you unhappy? Do you know why you're unhappy? And they're going to give you reasons why you're unhappy. Like, maybe you're in debt. You're in debt, and that's why you're unhappy. So if you want to be happy, you've got to get out of debt. And so you have people who are giving all their passions and energy toward trying to get out of debt. And you know what happens when they get out of debt? They're not in debt, but they're still not happy. They just don't have all the fancy things that they had before they got out of debt, right? Um, and, and so even in, 
even in the church culture, we're not immune to this. And so what you'll see a lot of times in church culture is, um, are, are you in the spiritual rut? Then what you need is you need to read this book. You need to do this Bible study. You, know, you need to go to this conference. Is your church in a rut? Then you need to have this kind of musical worship. Or um, you need to be doing, uh, you need to call your, your, you need to stop using the word Sunday school and start using home groups or start using life groups or just call them the small groups. And this is how God will fill your church when, in reality, we just need to look at this and, and spend more time in this and in prayer and realize that we've already been filled with God. We have all the resources we need. We just got to turn to him and let him um, remind us of that. Um, we're completely filled in Christ, so we should not, and indeed we cannot look for ultimate fulfillment in anything or anyone else. When we do, we make that thing or that person an idol for us. Um, verse 11, he begins to talk about circumcision, and the, the circumcision was this outward sign for the Jews that they were, um, that they were followers of Christ. They were God's people. Um, for us, then, since we've been filled with Christ, um, this outward sign for us is that we will put off the body of the flesh, as he says in verse 11. You also, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. So this inward working that Christ is doing in us, we are going to show by the way we live. We don't have to have an outward physical sign. It's a changed life. That's the evidence that God is working in us. Then verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is why we celebrate baptism by immersion. We want the physical picture of being buried with Christ and then raised to walk in newness of life with him. Um, that's why when, when you come to join the church here, we're going to, if, if you grew up in a tradition other than Baptist, or if you were baptized in another way by sprinkling, why we want to immerse you to have that, that sign, that testimony saying, I was buried with Christ, and I've been raised to walk in new life. And then uh, verse 12 and 14, and what we get through here in these three verses is Paul, again, as we've been talking about, preaching the gospel to people who know the gospel. He's telling the gospel to Christians, to believers. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And the, the picture here is of um, a balance sheet. So, in other words, if I go to Isaac's and I have a charge account at Isaac's and I keep charging things to it, um, I'm going to rack up a pretty hefty balance. And that's the picture that, that he's using here of our sins, is that we have, uh, we, we have mounted up this record of trespasses in the ways that we have fallen short of God's glory. And what Christ has done is paid the balance. He, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He paid that balance. Remember, he's telling this to believers, reminding them that you need to know that you have been forgiven. Your sins have been paid for. The balance is paid. Just as if Christ went, just as somebody else went to Isaac's and paid that balance for you on your account. The, 
the, the excesses that you spent, they went and took care of that and canceled that debt. And the idea is that Christ has nailed it to the cross. And, and the, the picture there is that it's once and for all paid for, done, taken care of, past, present, and future. You cannot sin yourself beyond the grace of God. Um, and so Paul is going to continue, um, as I said, just preaching this gospel to believers, reminding them where they are. In Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, he's going to say this. And this is, again, this picture of baptism, reminding them that we're in a new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which you may know, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. Um, he nailed our old person to the cross. Paul's going to say in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then verse 15, he closes out this section. Um, and this will close out our time together as well. Verse 15. We're going to see three, three victories that Christ had on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So first of all, he disarms them. He takes away their power by allowing himself to be humiliated and persecuted and crucified. He disarms these other powers who are powerless to do what he did. He put them to open shame. So he's going to take um, this, this picture, this, this idea of torture and, um, and, and shame that was the cross and, and Satan's victory over him where people were rejoicing thinking they took care of this heretic once and for all and he puts them to open shame by then raising three days later and and pretty much showing them that, that he has conquered death once and for all. And then, he, and then he triumphed over them. So this is, the, this is what Christ did for us on the cross. Um, so as we close out, we're going to finish early. Um, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> I told you I was going to go until my voice uh, ran out on me and it's getting there. So um, I just have a couple of questions as we close our time as Gene comes uh, to lead us. First is this. Um, I want to know, I want you to, to examine yourself and, and ask yourself, have you been taken captive by any philosophy or empty deceit or according to human traditions or according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ? In other words, what are you basing your life on? What are you really trusting in? Is, is there anything that you're placing your faith and trust in that is going to leave you hollow and empty when all's said and done? Um, second question is simply this. For, for those who are believers, have you followed him in believer's baptism by immersion as a testimony to the world that, uh, that I'm not who I was? I, I've, I identify with the burial, with the death, with the crucifixion of Christ, and I want to uh, tell people I've been raised to walk in newness of life. Maybe if you're not a believer or, or you're not really sure, the question is, have you had your record of sins canceled by Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him and allowed him to pay that price for you? And then the last question for us is this this morning. What rulers and authorities do you need to allow Jesus to, number one, disarm, 
Number two, put to shame. Number three, triumph over. What, what obstacles are there in your life that you need to give up to Christ and allow him to take over this morning? So as Gene leads us, um, I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes, just spend some time in prayer. The altar will be open. Maybe you need to come and say, yes, I want to be baptized. Um, I want to join the church. Uh, maybe you need to come and, and give your heart and your life to Christ for the first time. Uh, whatever your response is this morning, I pray you'll make it. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.